Are you having an anxiety about traveling? Do you want to know how to travel smarter? Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett coming to you as always from Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple, Mr. Rum himself, Dave Cumberbatch. <laughs> you know I had to get that in there after that pre-show discussion we had. <laughs> you had to get that in. But, uh, but, but Michael, I'll tell you, I saw uh, a recent, I read a recent article, there was a survey done by Travago, and the survey reveals that 38% of Americans poll said they'll give up sex for one year if they could resume traveling immediately. <laughs> and, right? <laughs> and 40% of the folks out of Britain, out of England, said they'll, they'll do the same thing. I don't know if I want to give up sex for one year just to travel. How about you? Uh... I have a short answer for you. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> what was even more revealing is that 25% said they'll give up all their savings to do that right now. Another 40% says, well, the 40% says they'll give up sex to go on the road. And one in five said they would give up their partner to travel right now. I find this extremely interesting. If you ask me the question, I don't know how I would answer that question. So I'll just, I'll just let you run with it. Well, that 40% that said they would give up the savings, that's assuming they have any in the first place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are in a pandemic. No one's worked for a year. So, you know, I don't think they have it. As for that, uh, what was that other 40% that said they would give up their partners? Um, they got issues. Exactly. As a matter of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, Excuse my bad vocabulary, but they issues got issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, on this episode today, we'll be talking about. <laughs> oh, and this is a funny juxtaposition, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> we have an exciting guest on today. We want to talk about helping women and families travel smarter. And um, in my research, um, she's definitely a family person. Um, I'll let you speak about that during the intro, but uh, um, yeah. we're all excited about having our, uh, having this guest today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to this because she has uh, something near and dear to my heart. She's the mother of twins, and as you well know, I am the grandfather of twins, and they're approximately the same age. So this is going to be a lot of fun discussing traveling with twins. Uh, my son had that experience when he took his boys to Hawaii, and um, uh, uh I don't want to say he told me a few horror stories, but he did. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into all of that on today's show. Before we do, let me dispense with those normal housekeeping notes. Uh, you can catch our podcast, TripCast360.com, on our website, TripCast360.com, where we also have a bunch of travel news, information, tips, so forth and so on. Uh, we post uh, typically every Monday. Uh, we're into season two now. We're having a lot of fun doing that. So we hope that you will share, like, and follow us with your friends. Um, if you don't want to check us out on our website, which we prefer you do, we're also on every single podcast medium platform you can think of from Apple to Google to Amazon to iHeartRadio, Spotify. So please uh, join us, share, like, uh, do all that good stuff with your friends and family. And we would really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And before Dave gets into our social media uh, handles, 
Uh, one special note about Instagram, we are actually going to start running an Instagram contest. I'm hoping in April. Uh, details forthcoming. We're really trying to build our following on Instagram. So stay tuned for that. And Dave, let them know the rest. And yes, we are on social media. You just mentioned Instagram, but we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Follow us, like us, message us, and tag us. And please go to our website and sign up for that newsletter. There's lots of great information, including travel deals that you might even want to consider. And I'm also excited about the new uh, section on our website that we introduced. We just introduced a feature called, a section called 360 Fun. That's where we have our photo of the month and our drink of the month or adult beverage of the month. <laughs> oh, yeah. Took, and, uh, and the rest of the long, is there. <laughs> you, 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 you took a long time to respond to that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, per, the person who posted the uh, a beverage of the month, he did it as a non alcoholic drink, but he did leave a little recommendation in there for you. So read carefully. It says if you want to make this an adult beverage, get some dark rum. That's right. So, no, no, that that's cool. And we're going to actually have a lot of stuff like that. We're going to uh, look for just, you know, we, we try to lighten the mood. You know, travel should be fun um, and entertaining. It shouldn't be this boring sitting on the beach locales, of, unless that's just your thing. It should right. be a lot of fun. So we're going to have little things like that. Who knows? We may even get a few restaurant tours to share a recipe or two and uh, lighten the mood. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're looking forward to those two sections. And by the way, Dave mentioned the photo of the month. It'll probably be tied to that Instagram promotion that I had mentioned a few moments ago. So stay tuned. All right, let's get on with today's show. She's been patiently waiting, laughing at our silly jokes for about the last 10 minutes. But uh, <laughs> Marquita Wright didn't take her first international trip until she reached college, spending six months studying in Mexico. By then, she was hooked and continued to travel the globe. In fact, Marquita and her now husband, Jamie, were involved in a long-distance dating relationship. Rather than meet in their respective hometowns, they decided to meet monthly in other locales and share the discovery of new places together. Fast forward a few, year, a few years later, they are now married and have twin boys, as I mentioned. And if you think uh, having twins would slow their adventurous spirit down, you would be wrong. While she still takes those solo trips for work, her family is usually not far behind. By the time the boys reached their second birthday, they'd, al they'd already been to uh, 15 trips, I believe, across five continents. And uh, if you want to know how she does it, well, we're going to let her tell you. She's the uh, founder of Marquita's Travels, a blog that's online, marquitastravel.com. And without further ado, we have Marquita Wright herself here. Marquita, welcome. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Ooh, we like well, that. <laughs> <laughs> But we're extremely excited to have you as well. Uh, I saw a recent quote by you. It says, I want my black twin boys to know that there's more than America. You, uh, you seem to package a whole lot in that one sentence. And I saw a, a recent survey, actually a research, 2,000 Amer 2, Americans responded. And it says 11% of those folks survey, surveyed have never traveled outside the state they were born. Over half of those surveyed, actually 54% of those surveyed, say they've visited 10 states or fewer. As many as 13% says they've never flown on an airplane. 40% of those questions said 
They've never left the country. So your your statement, I want my black boys to know that there's more than just America, just grab my attention immediately. Yes. Yeah, so there's so much into that statement, one from the perspective. So that thought started really during the pandemic and all of these things that were happening with, you know, the racial injustice that we've been seeing with all of these people being killed and different things like that, Black people specifically, especially Black males. And I had wrote a post where, because at, at some point you're like, I go to these places, even like walking down the street, people are like, oh my God, your kids are so cute. Oh, I love them. They're so cute. And I wrote a post and I was like, at what point do they go from being so cute to being a threat? Because let me know. So as a black mother, I can know how to adjust and prepare them for this switch. So that was one perspective that I want them to know that they're more than what America says they are, because just them at one point of another, they're going to become something that they're that they're not even right, that people are going to put this this image, this thought, this persona, this avatar on them that they they could be the furthest from and people just automatically assume that from them. So that was just one point of it. And then I realized like I am I'm showing them that they're more than what America says they are because they're able to get opportunities to see black people in different countries doing different things that there is way more to them. There's way more to the life. There's way more to where we the earth than America, right? And so what America says to do and not to do is not always necessarily right. Like there's other countries that are doing way better than we are in some aspects, right? So for them to know that there is more than America and you don't have to take everything that America gives you, you can pick and choose from all the various experiences that you've had and make your own persona and your own identification and the own in your own ways of how you want to do life. So that's kind of a two-part way of that sentence. That that statement in and of itself is is a, a powerful way because you know anybody who's listened to our podcast knows uh, I am a military brat in addition to being a vet, and um, I had the luxury of travel as a child, including living three years in Spain. And I remember as a child not having to think about the color of my skin when we lived in Europe. It wasn't an issue, uh, even as a five-year-old. Uh, you know, you just, there was this freedom that came with it that I, I could just be a little boy. Uh, you know, I'm, most of my friends who lived in Madrid, which is where we lived, spoke Spanish. So I had to learn the language, but we were kids. There was no, you know, going back to your point about when do you convert from being these cute little kids to um, uh, all of a sudden being this avatar for racism and things like that. I didn't feel that in Spain. But when we came back to the United States, I was eight years old. And the light bulb for me of that switch from being this cute little kid to that avatar that represented a black male kid went off like a ton of bricks. So we landed at JFK. And I remember everybody staring at us the moment we hit the airport. And I asked my mom some questions and she refused to answer. Maybe she thought I was too young to understand. So I'm saying all this to say that I think that by exposing children to travel at a young age, lets them see some other part of the world where not everybody is going to hold something over their head. That and also I, so I'll pro- I went to a predominantly white school. 
school. And I remember, I specifically remember this girl, you know, how you're like, oh, what did you do this weekend? And I specifically remember this girl was like, I went to Paris this weekend. And I was like, what? Like, what is, <laughs> like, people be, like, because at that time, I've never been out of the country. And to think that you actually went out of the country just for a weekend, like, and so I want, <laughs> and I don't know if this is right, wrong, or indifferent, but I want my kids to be be that person where they're like, oh, like literally. So another example that kind of goes with this, we're doing letter recognition, right? So Jameson, the youngest of the twins is like, A, it's for airplane. I've been on an airplane. B, it's for boat. I've been on a boat. And I'm like, yes, Yes, like this is what I want. Like I want my kid, I don't want them to be the one on the standardized test of like, what does it mean about sailing when they're trying to teach us geometry? I want them to be like, oh yeah, I remember in St. Lucia, we went on the boat and I remember them doing the sailing and I can recollect that information and apply it to what you're trying to test me on. Like that is what I want for my kids. Uh, And from me to you, Keep doing it. I think the, I think the message because I'm spoiled. I mean, I grew up around military kids. We all traveled. I mean, black, white, Latino didn't matter. We all traveled. So for us, it was second nature. But when I got away from the military environment and got into the greater American society, I discovered, man, a lot of these people have not left the front door. Of the the ten mile radius yeah. of their front door. That's you know, right. Back to Dave's point. Uh, you know, a lot of people. I mean, Dave's from Barbados. He came from a country that's a thousand miles from New York City. And that was what I'm used to, more people like Dave. But when I started, especially when I lived in Florida, in the panhandle, most of my classmates at one of the schools I went to hadn't left a 50-mile radius of their front door in their lives. Exactly. I live in New Orleans. So the a lot of people in New Orleans have not left. Like, the only reason that if people have left New Orleans, and when I say that, you know, this is painting a broad, you know, stroke, but a good majority of local black New Orleanians, if they have left the state, it was because of Katrina. Yeah. Wow. That is the only time that they have left New Orleans. And maybe once they left for Katrina, they saw there was other things out there and they continued that journey. But a lot of people's first experience, black New Orleanians living in the seventh ward, ninth ward, where I live today, they have not, they did not leave. New Orleans until Katrina made them leave. Wow. Wow. That is wow. And you know, it's funny. You mentioned that too. We actually have some people from Katrina here in Las Vegas who have resettled here and never went back. And, and, and people discover like New Orleans is a great city. It is beautiful, has so much history, food, fun. But it's ass backwards in a lot of ways. <laughs> if I could just be a hundred percent correct. So, like in some aspects, it's like, why am I paying all of this money for taxes? And what we're 49th in the state and you know, in the country for this, Louisiana is New Orleans, and they have bad streets. We don't have good school systems. There is so much to conquer, especially if you don't have the resources to move around that. So, like. Yes, it's one thing that we have bad schools, but if I have enough money to send my kids to private schools, I don't really care how bad the public schools are, right? <laughs> but in the aspect of these locals that I'm talking about, they they have no choice but to go to these schools to endear, endure these bad, you know, kind of things that are going on where there's better aspects somewhere else. And all I like it. I like your quote where you where you said ass backwards. That reminded me. <laughs> no, I'll tell you why. That reminded me of when we interviewed General Honore. General Honore said, if you live below sea level, 
what's going to happen? Your ass is going to flood. So, so it sort of no, let, me, let me get it right. What did he say that your ass gonna flood? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, and it literally, like, it is, and that's about normal. Like I told you, it's storming, and now it's about to storm really bad. On my way home, you see people park in the middle of the on the islands in the streets because it's going to flood, which means your car is going to flood. Like that is not normal. I've lived in a lot of different states for work. I have never seen somebody have to park park on a neutral ground so that their car wouldn't flood. In yeah. New Orleans, you do that five, seven, twelve times a year. <laughs> so there's just different aspects to it, right? What what is the street where the cable car goes on? And is that that Canal Street? St. Charles or Canal? Or, there's I think it's Canal. I was sitting and, and don't ask me why I did this. This has to do with New Orleans. And I think I've told Dave this story before. Uh, back in either 1999 or 2000, the Travel Channel sent me to New Orleans to produce the Mardi Gras Parade live. It was, the fir- it was our first live broadcast ever on the Travel Channel. And I remember sitting in this little uh, restaurant, and I had never seen a earthen berm-like dam built before. And the next thing I know is I see something floating down. I didn't, keep in mind, I don't know the Mississippi River's on the other side of this berm 50 feet from where I'm sitting. And all of a sudden, I see this smokestack of something going down, floating. I, I looked at my uh, couple of my car. I said, what is that? They said, that's the Mississippi River. I said, you're kidding. I got up out of my chair, walked across the street, walked up on that berm, and sure enough, the river. And it dawned on me that New Orleans is under <laughs> sea level. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When you can like see the side or a little bit underneath the boats that are passing, you're just like, this is a different aspect of it. <laughs> There's a quote on your website. Stood out, stood out. So immediately, it says, "Traveling, it leaves you speechless. It turns you into a storyteller." Share some of those stories and experiences with us. Oh, there's so many <laughs> stories, but like one of the ones that I remember dear is that. Okay, so I work for a global conveyor belt manufacturer. And my role is to support our customers. So like one of my customers is Procter & Gamble. So I I travel the world supporting Procter & Gamble in their manufacturing. So I was in India, one of my coworkers who is Indian, um, and he invited me to his house in in Delhi. And there his, so they usually live as a, it's a like, you know, levels of family where it was his mom and dad, his brother and his, um, Uh, I guess, what is it? Sister-in-law, their kids, his kids. And they just like really invited me in. And as they were preparing to cook, just having that experience of his mom literally showing me like how they make the naan bread, how they make the palak paneer, the different, like in their house, there's a shrine. I don't know if that's the right word to use of the different gods that they serve. He took me to Haridwar, which is um, a holy land for the Hindus where they believe that the water is holy. And if you bathe yourself in it, you are forgiven of your sins. Like the, the that experience was just amazing. Like they dressed me in a, in a, a sari just to like be immersed in that culture by people who lived in the culture who weren't getting like paid for me to be a part of it. They genuinely just opened their doors for me to experience it is something that I will remember for a lifetime. It's so beautiful. And and I think that's the beauty of like, no, I'm not Hindu, but learning about that religion and learning, I would never want to live with my husband's and his mama and his daddy 
couldn't pay me, okay? Yeah. So, like, to... <laughs> no, <laughs> never. Do you hear me? Never. Um, I hope he's not like, listening. Anyway. <laughs> I, I would t- look, I would tell them all that. Like, I wouldn't do it. Uh, but to see that and, like, they're excited and they're happy and they're, I'm just like, this is so amazing. And it makes you just appreciate their culture and it makes you also appreciate the things you do like and maybe the things that you might not like about your religion or what your culture is. So I think that's one of the special moments that I've had. Wow. Yeah. I think there's a, I have, I have a, a, a lot of uh, Indian American friends, but I've never been to India myself. And I always find that there's a certain calmness about them, a certain peace and serenity that they have that I just get the impression from everybody I've spoken to who's actually been to India most of the population is like that. Yeah, everyone seems pretty, like, from a business perspective, they can be a little, like, I don't know, because they're trying to, like, climb their way up, right? It's kind of, mm-hmm. not kind of like the Chinese, but in a way, in the aspect of, you know, a lot of, they're, it's, you know, a third world country, so people are trying to work their way up, but, like, when you actually sit and talk to them and have a conversation, they're very, like, inquisitive and open-minded and, trying to learn. So I've always found it to be like a welcoming situation um, being there in India. So yeah, I think, and then yeah, they just have like this peace and calmness and they're kind of okay with the situation of who they are, I think. Um, yeah, it's I, probably grounded in in their faith. I actually met a lot of uh, uh, Indian Americans, the Asian American Hotel Owners Association. And if uh, you don't know anything about AHOA, they actually have they are they own more hotels in the United States than any single ethnic group. So I, I they been, own like half of the hotels here in New Orleans. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, the, the last stat I saw was like sixty percent ownership, and uh, so I, I got to know quite a few of them through the the organization, and, and and they were fantastic. They were willing to show me how to invest in a hotel, even though I don't have any money. Um, you know, <laughs> they were going through the whole gamut. So uh, I want to go backwards for a few minutes. You, you said that your first international trip was to Mexico as a, a, as a student. Uh, where in Mexico? Share that experience. What is it like? Because a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to be going someplace for the first time internationally. So share your first experience internationally. So it's kind of weird. I always had a passion to like do uh, international business. I have no idea why, because I had never traveled <laughs> internationally before there was just always this like oh I want to go I want to go so um, one of my minors was Spanish and one of my minors was Japanese so I was trying to decide which country I wanted to go to right um and so I was like let's do Mexico because I can graduate earlier and I'm sick of this right (laughs) so uh (laughs) so did Mexico and it literally was like I need to get a passport so that I can become a student and get the visa so it was very nerve-wracking because again like if I've never been internationally, my parents had never been. Like, literally, my mom got a passport to get last year when I took her to Costa Rica for my kid's second birthday. So it's not like I had anyone to show me how to do it. So I was kind of like that lonely Black kid. I went to Western Michigan and kind of just, you know, was like, okay, this is what the Spanish department is doing. Let me go. Let me try to figure out what it is. And then it's like, oh, you're staying with somebody else, like a whole family in their house that doesn't speak English. And I have to make sure my Spanish is good enough so that we can have conversations. And this is in, what, 2003? So it wasn't like, hey, Siri, how do you say whatever, whatever in Spanish? It's like getting your dictionary out and 
Like, how do you spell? Is that an S or a T that they're saying? Okay, let me look this up to figure it out. So it's most definitely like at that time, nerve wracking, like, oh my goodness, how is this going to look? But the people were very welcoming, right? So I was in Querétaro, Mexico, which is two hours north of Mexico City. Yep. And um, the city was large enough that there was a a lot to do, but it was still small enough that it was kind of walkable or you knew which buses to take to go one from another and then we also the good thing is there's two black girls in the in the study abroad it was me and someone else and we lived on the same street so I'm like they had to pair this right they were like let's put the black people together <laughs> to make sure they are right and it was great like we were able to like go places together and like learn different things uh, you know with Mexicans that their complexions vary so like we could pass if our Spanish was good enough at that moment to be like a part of it but if they heard us speaking English then they automatically knew that we were American because our English sound like Americans right um so I think it it was it was nerve-wracking but it was a great experience and I learned a lot about who I am and like what I also love about America too so at that point I was like I miss black people <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> like about the end of the that the cut like it was a six months so about month four and a half five months I was just like I, it made me appreciate my culture I'm like I just miss black people I miss black I like the music I miss how we talk to each other how we interact with each other like I just miss being around my people so it also made me show what like what I appreciated about the culture, which sometimes you don't realize that until you're kind of gone from it. So that's the other thing about traveling that I tell people is like, you should do it because you don't know what you have until it's gone. Even if it's temporarily know what that is. So yeah, leave New Orleans. Like you may realize that you really miss crawfish and, and the hecticness and the craziness of the city, but you can't appreciate that if you're here all the time with it, you know? Right. So that that's kind of my uh, study abroad experience. You are the before Dave asked you this question. I just want to say something. You are the second guest we've had on the show who mentioned Querétaro, Mexico. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy named Ray Blakeney. We actually did a podcast with him. Uh, it was something. What was it called, Dave? Something about making a seven-figure income as a digital nomad and something like that. He actually is based in Querétaro. He married a, a Mexican lady. And he has zero plans on coming back to the United States. He, really? He created a seven-figure income in Mexico teaching Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you get a chance, uh, I, I will send you an email when we're done. For those of you listening, um, it, it, it's with Ray Blakeney. And, and if, David, you remember me to remind me before the end of the show, I'll actually mention it again so that people can kind of tie your two experiences together because I think it's fascinating. You said your favorite place to travel was, um, I believe it was a village or a town in, in, in Thailand. Yeah. Yeah, Chiang Mai. How has that experience been for you? So Chiang Mai, that was when we took, we actually took the boys there on a Thailand trip when they were one. And Chiang Mai is kind of like, so I don't know if you haven't been to Asia, like probably any place in Asia don't realize what it's like to surround it by 20 million people. <laughs> like, so let, let's, let's take New York is our largest uh, city. New York city is the largest city in the United States. It's 7 million people. Like Bangkok, Shanghai, they have 20, 25, 
million people in the same square footage as York City. Wow. So to be around all of these people can be like, there's a lot going on. But Chiang Mai is a smaller town. It's still big. Like in our reference, it's probably like seven to 10 million. So it's like New York. So maybe that's why it felt very like home. And where we stayed was off of uh, Tiananmen Road, which is one of their major roads. And they just have all these cute little restaurants and boutiques. And then they have like a night bazaar where there's a lot of like street food vendors. And the food is so good. You can smell like the aroma of the food. In Thailand, there's in the night bazaars, they have like little people like selling clothes and you can get like an outfit for $7. You can get like a full massage for an hour for like five bucks. Everyone's super, super friendly. It was just like, this this is like home. It was very homey and very welcoming, unlike maybe Bangkok. Like Bangkok, or if you go to another Asian country, Delhi, Shanghai, it's just too much. Like this, this is could be home <laughs> yeah, per se. Yeah. But Chiang Mai just had a feeling of home and then went to the temples with the and the monks. And you actually got to sit with the monks and talk to them about how did you become a monk? How at age did you know you wanted to be one? So it was just very like open and welcoming, the the city itself. How do you order your food? I mean, I'll tell you, I love Thai food. But when I go to the Thai restaurant here, I pick the menu up and I show the guy the picture. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, I mean, most of it's in English. So they have it like, you know, in in Thai and then the other part in English. Yeah, because they cater. I mean, they're... Yeah. There's enough enough expats in Chiang Mai that, um, yeah, half of English. So I just order from that. No, I I actually think that, and, and this is maybe where I'm hoping to give some Americans a little bit of comfort in terms of trying to travel internationally. If you pick the right destination, most places speak some form of English. English, yeah. They almost all do. It may be broken English, but you will be able to communicate without grabbing a dictionary for the most part. And today exactly. with these crazy cell phones, you can look up the language on your phone. And uh, that is what I tell, like, this is the best time to travel internationally literally can just talk in your phone it'll translate it and the person can hear it in their native language right right yeah so i i think if we're trying to dispel fear because i think going back to the point you and dave both made earlier a lot of americans don't travel internationally it's got nothing to do with whether they have enough money to book the airfare it's that they're afraid they don't travel out of the state where they were born yeah <laughs> to, to me that says i'm afraid yeah. You mentioned you you mentioned earlier about the, about the Florida Panhandle. <laughs> I mean, come on! <laughs> oh, that 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 was like living in a foreign country. <laughs> and I think fear is a part of it. And I don't I don't know. I could be wrong, but I feel like Americans have this thing where they're like, "Well, why do I have to go to other countries? I'm in the right. best country in the world." You're absolutely no, no, no. right. You have to come to me because. I'm the best and I don't have to go to your little inferior country because there's nothing to see in your little inferior country. Why do I got to go? And so to dispel, like there's a lot of great things in so many other places that couldn't even compare to what we have in the United States. So I think that's another thing where they're like, even like when people go to the Caribbean islands, they go for a resort and sit on the beach, but they never leave the resort. And it's just like, you don't think that there's 
beauty besides this resort that Marriott made? So the only reason that you're going to Jamaica or you think, you know, Barbados or Bermuda or all these beautiful St. Lucia places are beautiful is because the white man came and made some ice on it? Like, so maybe you want to get out of your resort and see all of the beauty and the different adventures and exposures and things that they have in this country and actually talk to a local by chance. Yeah, that's true. It's this American arrogance that is just, and that's another reason I want my kids to travel. I don't want them to have this American arrogance of we are the best because in some aspects, America is not. No, we, we've fallen behind in a lot of areas. You know, like, for example, technology. If you go to Europe, the internet speeds, the technology, the, the ability to be able to just log in any place in the world is better in Europe than it is in the United States. Yes. And most Americans don't know that. We literally got laughed at. My friend and I went to Dubai for our 35th birthday. I won't say how long ago. <laughs> and we were, using our credit- <laughs> we were using our credit card to um, pay for something. And the guy looked and was like, does that say 4G? Are you guys all only on 4G in the United States? We've been having 5G for the last two years. I'm like, yeah, welcome, welcome to America. Yeah. We are not the best at everything. No, you know those little microchips that are now on credit cards? They've had that in Europe for a decade. Years. Yeah. I, I mean, the idea that I can take my credit card and I don't have to like pop in my PIN number anymore and I can just scan it across the machine and it'll just take the money right then. That's been going on in Europe for a long time. We are late to the party. Exactly. And I want them to know that. So it's like, you're not, you may be the smartest kid in the class. Maybe, hopefully that would be great. But trust me, there is somebody way smarter than you somewhere else. And that is who you're competing with for your job. Right. Or the other thing about Europe too is um, getting around Europe. It's easy. These countries are interconnected via a train system. You don't have to show a passport every time you cross a border in most European countries. And I don't think that that concept has really resonated with a lot of Americans about how easy it is to get around Europe. Exactly. You know, high-speed train. Dave and I were having a discussion right before you got on about the slow pace of building high-speed rail in the United States. And when we do finally build it, we get trains that go 120 miles an hour. And in China, they got trains that go 230. Exactly. We'll, mean, we'll be behind. Yeah, we'll be behind on that. We're already behind because our thinking is not keeping up with them. Our thinking exactly. is behind. That's why. Exactly. Dave's right. Our thinking is way, way far behind. I'm going to make a pivot because I know we also brought you on here to talk about traveling with children. Yeah. How, you know, we mentioned at the top of the podcast that you have twin boys who are just a hair older than mine at three years of age. How in the hell do you manage? <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I tell people. My kids are going to be three-year-olds, no matter if we are at home or no matter if we are somewhere else traveling. I prefer to be with my three-year-olds, learning something, something else, keeping their attention, right. us making memories and doing something fun than us being at home watching Blippy for the hundredth time. <laughs> <laughs> So they're going to be kids no matter what. And, and for the life of me, I don't understand how people just stay home with three-year-olds all day. Like, and like, how do you stay, I could, I, how do you stay sane? I could not stay sane at home with my kids all day, every day. And that's not bad. <laughs> I'm not a bad mom. Um, but <laughs> being able to go somewhere else keeps their attention. At home, they get used to it. They're accustomed to it. It doesn't keep their brain stimulated. But every time we go somewhere else, it's like, ooh. 
this is new, that's different. And it also prepares them for change. You're going to have to continue to change as you grow. Don't get accustomed to how things are today. Change and become, you know, adaptable to what's going on and what's around you. So that's why I do it. There's no really trick to it. You figure out things that make your life easier. But that's the same thing with anything with parenting, right? Um, right. it's, It's that mindset of let's something different. Let's create memory. Right. Um, three-year-olds are mobile and they don't like sitting still. Jesus, and yes. uh, my son's got boys just like you've got. His twins are boys. Um, do you have any travel tips for keeping a child in a seat on an airplane? <laughs> so look, this, 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 is a, this is a good one. So we use um, the CARE, C-A-R-E-S, harness. So that is what we use because some twin parents wear by car seats and they'll bring both car seats on the plane. I'm a less is more type of mom. So we use those harnesses to keep them in. And the boys were totally fine with that, literally, except for our last two flights in what, a couple weeks ago. And the other one was in February. So they recently now just want to wear the regular car seat because they're big boys and they don't, or the regular seatbelt that you and I wear because they're like, they're big boys and they don't need this anymore. But I would recommend to at least try the harness and see, you know, if your kid likes it because now they can at least feel like they're older because they're just sitting in the seat and it's just a little harness on top of them. And then maybe as they get older, you can take it away um, once you get comfortable. But I mean, they're kids. So sometimes they want to sit in the plane seat and sometimes they don't. So it's the same thing like, getting their teeth clean at the dentist, like, you know, you do what you got to do. Now, now, how do you and your husband book your seating arrangements? Because like on a lot of airplanes, there's only three seats in a row, unless you're on one of those big international flights where they got those eight seats in the middle. How do you guys navigate that? So what we try to do is uh, now that we got to (laughs) buy four flights or four tickets, uh, if it's like a two tour, um, we would do uh, aisle, both aisles and both right. middle seat, both uh, both aisles of both windows. So on both sides of the plane. So maybe we'll do like A and C and then E and G, right? And so then nobody wants to sit in the middle. So especially once they get there and they see that they're about to be in the middle of two kids, they're like, oh, I'll switch seats. <laughs> 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 so they're a lot more like open to it. And I even do that on the international flights if um, I try to keep the middle seat open and get another row. So I would, if it's like a four seater and we all potentially could just sit in the or I might just buy like um, the 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 two on the end, leave the middle open, not buy that, but buy another ticket like on the aisle of the other one, just so that we can get more space. If somebody does buy the aisle, I'm like, or buy the middle, they would prefer to have the aisle anyway. Oh, yeah. So then we can we can switch. So that's kind of how I strategically uh, work out situation. That sounds like an automatic COVID protection too. Yeah, for sure. Because what? We took the last flight we took, we took Southwest and the flight was booked in and out of New Orleans. I said, never again. I am not sharing elbow space with a stranger at all. Like, so not during COVID. So Delta, I'm a Delta girl. So I'm like Delta it is. Um, so yeah, for sure. I was just going to ask you if you, if you did any traveling at all um, during the COVID period. I know there, there are a lot of studies out there that suggest that folks will travel domestic 
again before they travel internationally. Have you done any traveling at all? And what has that experience been apart from how you travel smarter, how you book your seats? You have a family of four. Have you done any yeah. traveling at all? So yeah, we've, as a family, we've probably been on, I don't know, seven trips <laughs> during COVID. Um, all here in the U.S., all here in the U.S. with the boys. We haven't had them go internationally yet. Um, on our last flight, that's when we were on Southwest and we did two and two. What would I do? So you got to wear masks. At two years old, the kids have to wear masks. So Good. when I knew that we were ready to fly, I flew by myself first to see how it was, test the waters, think of ways to make it easier for the kids. Um, so we practiced maybe like a month before um, we we're going to fly. Uh, just wearing the mask at home, like having different kinds of masks, like, hey, do you want Paw Patrol or do you want, you know, you know, Baby Shark? And so they could pick which ones they want. We had ones that go over the ear. We had the the gators. We had a lot of different styles to see which ones they like better. We like had games of like, oh, who can put their mask on the fastest? Oh, look at mommy's mask. So like practice, practice, practice. Because the last thing you want to be is that person who's on social media because their kid won't wear a mask and now you're kicked off the All-American <laughs> Airlines flights, right? So like you, you know, two-year-olds, they're like real wishy-washy and you can't put on anything on them on the last minute. Like, hey, wear this adult <laughs> an adult mask and sit down <laughs> like that's not gonna work so that's my first tip if you're flying your kid's about to be two or older they have to start practice wearing a mask asap and then second we would bring a little kit with like um hand sanitizer little wipes and we will make it a game like okay guys we're about to sit down here's your wipe who can clean the window the fastest who can clean the seat the fastest wipe 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 oh you get a treat yay you did a really good job cleaning here's your treat so that, those are little things that we would do to try to keep everyone safe and like clean our area before we got comfortable. I know you're extremely passionate about helping women and families travel smarter. Um, those, those tips that you shared with us, is that part of that whole process? And I've, I've got to tell you, I'm extremely jealous because you, you've got here helping women and families. <laughs> is, is there anything in there for me? Yeah, pay the bill. well when i just look at my demographic numbers it's like 85 percent female and then when i did my poll 60 something percent were moms so you know trying to target my avatar here (laughs) so there's no need for me to be jealous right no you're part of the family right so come on (laughs) you you can come her husband goes (laughs) exactly it's like you can what i don't target is how to make a guy's trip like that is what i don't (laughs) do right (laughs) 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 is that part of traveling smarter does that fall under that category yeah i mean it does but like i'm not an expert i can't give (laughs) tips on how to make a guy's trip no successful. I can tell you how to make a good girl's trip, though. So it's all with women and, you know. Well, speaking See, of Michael's all curious now. I, I am curious, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to let it slide. And this is, a, this is a, the format. Um, <laughs> we probably got ladies listening today. So I, um, I want to give you a plug real fast, Marquita, because on Marquita's uh, website, which is marquitastravel.com, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T-A-S, travels.com, she had a ton of travel tips 
uh, for what it's like to travel um, with family, with the, with her young boys, uh, as a solo traveler. And there's a, a, a right in her menu bar, right at the top, the third item over says tips, and they're broken down. So you can actually read some of her travel tip items. I just want to give her a, a little plug on that because the things that she's telling us in this podcast, she practices what she preaches, and it's all there for you to read too. So yeah, I'm, I'm, right. I wanted to get that out there. Thank you. Um, now you've been to what five continents with your boys? The the boys have been to five countries. Five countries, the, okay. Yes. I, I just looked on your website and I'm actually laughing because you're standing in front of the Arenal volcano and the hanging bridges, which I was actually there four years ago, Dave, five maybe. Yeah. yeah. I was the exact same spot where you took that picture. And, so beautiful. Oh, you know, it's good. As a matter of fact, we, me and my girlfriend love Costa Rica so much. We're actually thinking about buying a piece, uh, a, a, a little house or a condo or something there. Let me know when you do so then I can like Airbnb it from. Oh, okay. You go. See, I got my first one already, Dave. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm making me some money off of this bad boy. <laughs> and now we, we, we actually stayed up in um, uh, uh, Tamarindo. We actually flew yes. to Liberia. Uh, and then, uh, we drove down to Arenal for the day. And I remember what's a 26 hanging bridges that are varying heights above the ground below. I got to like the fourth or fifth one. It was the first one where the bridge actually swayed back and forth. Cause the first three or four are actually anchored to the ground Yeah, and you don't really, you know, they're minor. This idiot gets out in the middle of the bridge. I'm six foot four. And so the the chain of the bridge was actually hitting me about the waist. And he's out there doing one of these swinging oh, like that. Yeah. He's laying down in the middle of the bridge uh, and doing everything. And I, and I got so mad. I said, I'm not crossing that bridge. That fool's gone. And he decided that he wanted to take pictures for a half hour and had everybody backed up. You know what I did? I walked back to the entrance by myself and waited for the tour to be over. My goodness. I said, no, I, I, I'm not doing it. Because I got about halfway out on the bridge and I was swaying back and forth. And this is one of those ones where it was like 50 or 60 feet above the water below. Yep. And then I remember my tour guide, which I don't know why I had one. I didn't need him. But I remember him looking at me. He says, you can't go back by yourself. There's snakes and stuff here. I said, dude, I've seen a snake. I grew up in Florida. Snakes don't phase me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I walked back by myself and sure enough, I wasn't wow. 15 feet away from uh, off that bridge when I saw this humongous poisonous snake run across my path. He looked at me. I looked at him. I picked up a little rock, threw it at him. He, off he went in the bushes and off I went back to the park. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is a crazy story. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be with him either. I'd be like, dude, you have to calm down. What's the craziest experience that you've had traveling? The funniest, the craziest, something that funniest. adult beverages are allowed, by the way. Funniest experience that I've had. So it, this, this did not happen to me, This, but this was my biggest fear when I was a kid <laughs> or when I had my little kids when they were little. I was boarding a plane with my boys and a mom was baby wearing her kid. And literally as she was walking on the jet bridge, the kid threw up and it went all mm. down her shirt because she was baby wearing it so the throw <laughs> wow. up went all down her shirt all down his shirt it was everywhere and that was <laughs> that is my that was like my worst fear or like picking up the kid and like poop coming all down although we almost <laughs> had that we almost had we literally almost had that experience our la- our second to last flight in february like that that was close that was 
that was close. I had my husband take care of that because my my, my <laughs> See, so there is a good reason for men to be on the trip with yeah, you. Yeah, my pay he saw it on my face. I was like, this kid is about to die today. So I was like, he was like, I'll do it, I'll change him. I'm like, okay, thank you. So I'm gonna get him on our podcast at some point for him to share so so, so yeah. that he can share his experience. Exactly. Yeah, we, 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 we want to hear their other side of the, the other side of it. Yeah, that is that was probably the the craziest, like, you know, just in like a scary or whatever way. I mean, there's so many experiences from like going to the safari in South Africa and being like literally within feet of a lion. And then you can hear the roars from other lion and they're the female lions across the river. And it was a mating call. And we literally followed the male lion as he crossed the river to the female lion. So I was just like, oh, this is like ridiculous to see nature like face to face and see the journey that he made to go to his females. <laughs> so that was that was pretty interesting. I often wonder how why they do these safaris in an open vehicle. So they said that the that the um the animals are to the vehicle. That is what they are used. What you don't do is stick anything out side of it because as soon as you stick your arm your leg your whatever out to try to take a good picture they're like that's on you bro so it's like mm-hmm. literally they are used to the vehicles but do not and so like literally my husband and i would be taking pictures like this because <laughs> i'm like well you better put your elbow in here like i'm not trying to die because you got too comfortable i would much rather go on the safari in the Pope mobile well, I want to. I want to be protected. <laughs> you can't get good. You can't get good angles. You know, if it was all covered, all you would have is a little bitty like window to take pictures out of, and then you would have to stick your arms out of it, right? right. Um. So that's why it's open. No, it's pretty cool. No, mm-hmm. no, no. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, you would love it. The first time you look how long my arms list, are. <laughs> you'll be scared. Like you'll be scared the first time, but then when you'll be like, okay, the next one, because you go twice a day, then the next one you'll be ready. I, Michael would make a fantastic meal. He's six <laughs> four. <laughs> he's 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 six four, two hundred plus pounds. <laughs> he would be a fantastic meal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I, 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 I can see that lion licking his chops now. <laughs> he, he even eating a lot of chicken. Yeah, I eat, yeah. <laughs> he don't eat chicken. I want some beef. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you, you know, I, I've David's heard me say this before. I don't have a big, big fear of animals except for one, and it's snakes. I cannot stand those things. And um, somebody. Put a did a really mean trick to me when I was in Jamaica. They put a fake snake in my bed, mm. and they thought it was funny. Uh, by the time I got done. done, by the time I got done planning my size fifteen in his hindquarters, he didn't think it was <laughs> funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like no, no. But you know, the safaris wouldn't bother me. I mean, um, I, I I was on a when I worked at uh, NBC Studios in in Burbank, California. I was I was in the audience on the Tonight Show. Jay Leno brings in a mountain lion. Mountain lion's not chained. He's not hooked to anything. He's just Jay Leno, the mountain lion, and the trainer. This mountain lion's running all and keep this mountain lion. Mountain lions are not big like the lions in Africa, but they still weigh a couple hundred pounds. And this lion's just going all over the stage. He knocked over the set and everything, and they actually had to stop taping for a minute and get the lion back in its cage. And I'm like, 
Why in the hell would anybody put a live mountain lion on the stage without being chained? Yeah, I don't think I like that. No, br- 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 brother got up and left. <laughs> I, like, I don't, I, I don't trust that one so trainer. Leave. No, exactly. yeah, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I, I was like, nah, nuts, nuts, nuts. Um, tell us, okay, you've been to Thailand with your kids. You've been to Costa Rica with your kids. Where else have you been with your kids? So they've been to Puerto Rico and Amsterdam and Paris. Ooh, wow. Yeah, my girlfriend's from Puerto Rico. <laughs> Puerto Rico, Amsterdam, and Paris. Well, those are some different locales. Yeah, so we're trying to, you know, give them exposure to different things. Have, have, they, have they gotten your gift for learning Spanish yet? A little. We're, we're starting to practice it. So they can say some words. They can count in Spanish. Practice. Yeah, because my, my grandsons, because their mother is part Mexican, she actually teaches them Spanish. So I can't say trash to them. I have to say basura, you know, and then, and then they get it. Oh, okay. Uh, and then they want to, like, when they want to turn on the light, we say turn on the light, and they're like, a light. If you say loose to them, they get it. <laughs> exactly. Like, just small little words so they can start learning. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm hoping that they are bilingual. I, I was fortunate that my dad spoke seven languages, and he had a great, great ear for that. I, I, to this day, I don't know how he did it. That is so cool. I mean, we lived in Spain. My dad was stationed in Morocco. My dad was stationed in Vietnam. My dad was in Germany. Uh, and he basically just picked up the languages as he went along. He never studied any of them in school except Latin. Of course, nobody speaks Latin. Right. That See, I would love that. I would love if my kids had a love for languages and learn multiple languages. I'm always jealous of my coworkers because um, they, they get together when we have our meetings and like I have one coworker that he literally is like that. He can, he speaks all of the Euro- European languages and just like how he's a chameleon between conversations. I'm like, I'm jealous. Like I want some of that. I want, I want that. Now, now, now my parents told me I spoke fluent Spanish as a five-year-old. I really? have no recollection of any of that. As a matter of fact, it's so bad. Believe it or not, I actually wake up every morning for an hour and do my Duolingo to relearn a language that I had forgotten. But it probably comes back quickly. A lot of the, the, the hardest problem I'm having right now is just the um, just getting some of the vocabulary back in my head and, and a little bit of the conjugation of verbs. But other than that, I'm not having a hard time picking things up. It, it seems to be coming back rather easily. And of course, my girlfriend's first language is Spanish. So um, there you go. I'm getting beat over the head by that. And my girlfriend's mother has a, a doctorate's degree, a Ph.D. in linguistics. Oh, you're, you're, you're and, set. You're ready. And, yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah. Well, I, I've been embarrassed enough not understanding what they're saying at the dinner table that now I have to learn. Um, at this point, he's just speaking Spanglish. You know, uh, you have to elevate <laughs> and that would be a, and that would be a stretch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm also looking at your website. I'm going to make another little pivot because not only do you have an expertise in family travel, you also have an expertise in solo travel. We've had several women on our show who uh, travel alone and they love it. They, they don't like having to, uh, and it's not about work for them. Like maybe it is for you. For them, they don't want to be bothered with traveling with anybody because they just get in their way. And if they want to go up and do things, they go do things. Um, what are some of your tips for a solo woman traveler as opposed to somebody like Dave and I, who, you know, I traveled all over the world by myself. I would say with a so- 
I think with a solo female travel, the main tips is just to be conscious, right? So be conscious of like, it's the same thing if you would come to New Orleans, even if, if you even if you were with your girlfriends, you don't want to be out like by yourself in a dark alley or not know where you're going. Um, so just really being conscious of your location and your surroundings. Like maybe you don't want to wear a purse that's on one shoulder. I always wear a fanny pack or a backpack. So that way, if you're going to try to get to me, I'm feeling you in a certain kind of way, trying to get to my things. Also just like being conscious of, um, always letting people know where you're at, like keep your location on, on your phone, different things like that, just so that you can feel safe. I think that's the biggest thing is a feel, the feeling of safety. You would probably not see me walking around in the dark in a foreign country at nighttime, unless it's like a very tourist area where there's a whole bunch of people coming back and forth. Don't get drunk by yourself. I mean, that's just not smart point blank period no matter what country you're in like maybe if you want to get drunk in your hotel room that's one thing um but it's a whole nother thing to be like getting drunk at a bar and then you have to figure out how you're going to get home and or walk home or walk to your hotel like just like simple things that you would tell your girlfriend like think of the tips you would tell your friend like okay girl make sure you do this this and the third i think you can come up with some very good logical ways of trying to protect yourself Smart. Do you feel safer staying at a hotel as opposed to an Airbnb? You know, the hotels tend to be more structured and to be more, you know, within the tourist area as opposed to the Airbnbs that are more within, you know, they're, you know, they're all across the country, different areas and so on. I have not stayed at an Airbnb by myself. For that reason? I don't, I don't, yeah, I just don't feel, I don't feel that I have enough control (laughs) over things. I don't know who else has the key to it. I don't know if there's cameras here. I don't know. I don't know. It's if I want to get food, then I have to leave. It's just a little bit not as predictable as it would be for a hotel. If something happened and I don't want to stay here anymore and I got to find another Airbnb where if something happens at my hotel, like most likely I'm staying at a Marriott or a Hilton um, status. So I call and they're going to fix my issues for me. So like that, that is just the safety net that I like to have. Got it. Yeah. Dave, actually, that was the exact question I was getting ready to ask because, and the reason Dave mentioned it was we've had a lot of guests on our show, a couple of women who they will only stay at quote unquote high end hotels because of the structure and the fact that there's always somebody around to protect you. Exactly. There's always someone around. And then also like people, um, you just kind of can get the lay of the land. Like if I need to, (laughs) if I need to run, if I need to do this, there's like, there's a map I can like, (laughs) I can figure it out. Right. It just, it makes me feel safe. And it's a lot to do in that one location as well. Is there a trade-off between safety? like we just mentioned, and truly experiencing the local culture? I think so. I mean, you can experience the local culture at noon. You don't have to go at midnight to experience somebody's local culture. Most likely at midnight ain't the culture you want to experience. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it is. Like, <laughs> so, like, as, as my, you know. 
as my daddy used to say, there ain't nothing good going to happen after midnight. <laughs> exactly. So like I was, I don't like, I would love to take a tour, you know, a tour where a lot of times now, especially like Airbnb experiences, there's a group of people and you might go to a local person's house and make a meal with them. I'm most definitely open to doing that. But like, I know what house I'm going to. I've already texted that to my husband or whomever is, you know, whomever I'm t- giving it to. Usually probably my best friend because she's a little better at organized. Uh, of like, girl, <laughs> if I come up missing, she's like the inspector gadget. Like, this is the person I'm at and she would find them, right? <laughs> like immediately. So I think those are just ways you can do it. Like pick the earliest tour instead of like a tour at nine o'clock at night. Stuff like that. In uh, the few remaining minutes we have left with you, I want to touch on a few places you have been, starting with Portugal. And the reason that I'm mentioning Portugal is we actually interviewed a lady by the name of Simia J a couple of weeks ago who actually is Tunisian-Italian, and she actually lives in Portugal. And I've always been fascinated by Portugal because every time I pick up an edition of International Living, one of the places that is, seems to be extremely welcoming for expats from the United States, especially those of African descent, is Portugal. Portugal. Yeah. yeah. Give us your experience in Portugal. Portugal was it's beautiful, first of all. So I, uh, unfortunately, I only was able to do Lisboa or Lisbon. Um, but like that was one of the places that I actually went out at night to an area that was further from my hotel. So I had to take an Airbnb, not Airbnb. I had to take an Uber to that area. And it's a little area with a whole bunch of bars and restaurants. And I stayed maybe for like two hours or something like that to 10, 11 o'clock at night. And just like listening to people play live music, the culture was very open, very welcoming. Like the um, people that drove Uber would like tell you history while you were driving and just giving you little bits and pieces. So it was very welcoming. Like there was no like, you know, Sometimes you'll go to another country and they're like, oh, they're different. And you always feel these people like kind of staring at you. Not in Portugal. It's very like open or like, I don't know, had this experience in France. Like the French are not the nicest people in the world, right? They're not very welcoming. They're kind of like, why are you in a country where the Portugal or the Portuguese they're very like, oh, my God, come on, welcome. This is our country. This is what we like to eat. This is what we like to do. So it's just this feeling of embrace and warmth. Right, right. And another place that I have never been, but since my girlfriend was born in Valencia, Spain, I suspect I'm going to wind up there one day, is Mallorca. <gasps> Mallorca. Yeah, Mallorca was great. It is so beautiful. <laughs> the water is just so blue and clear and crisp. And they have like a lot of kind of mountainous if you drive out a little bit. So I took a tour. I was so what had happened was I was in Germany for work and it was, uh, was haven't had them in so long. It was a convention. Is that what it's called? Mm. A convention. I think, they, uh, I think that's it, what they used to call them. Right? I'm like, is that what they, what is it when a big group of people gets together? <laughs> I don't know what that means anymore. Uh, it was a convention and it was over like two weeks. So there was a weekend and I'm like, I'm not staying in Germany in, you know, April or whatever. So direct flights to Mallorca and got there. I was only had one full day. And so I just found a tour to like tour me around the, the Bay Area of there so we can, so I can hang out. And it was just so beautiful. It did a little hiking. The water was beautiful and clear. The food is delicious. All the tapas that you want. My York is good. Sounds like a trip in the offing, Dave. Yes. 
It was so good. The people were, and you know, like, it still gave you, like, this island feel. And, like, people that live in the islands, you kind of get this, like, oh, everything is cool. Life is fun. No problem, Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And so even the Spanish islanders were very, like, oh, you know, life is cool. Welcome to Mallorca. We are less, we are less stressed. You, you, you know what we say? We're too blessed to be stressed. Exactly. And I love that sentiment. I really do. Because, you know, Americans, we can get way too worked up. Over no, we, we, we get too serious, you know. Exactly. We, we, we too serious about ourselves sometimes. And there's something to be appreciated for life outside this country where people don't take life so seriously. Um, yeah. the, the, you mentioned at the top of the podcast, correct me if I'm wrong, that when you were looking at studying abroad as part of your uh, education, it was Mexico and Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, have you gotten to Japan? I have been to Japan. I've been to Japan twice for work. Um, so I was in uh, Tokyo for sure. And then Kyoto was the other uh, city that I went to for work. But it was a lot of work. So it wasn't as much exploration. But every time I go to Japan, it's like a four or five country, two week, like trying to go to a whole bunch of places. So I never really get time just to enjoy Japan like I want. See, if you had just mastered that pole vaulting that you tried, you could have been in the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That'd have been cool. (laughs) Once the fear of COVID is behind us and countries begin to open up and we can travel once again internationally, is is there one country, one specific country that, is on your list that you really, really, really want to go to? So as a family, because I've traveled internationally during COVID, but my family, we haven't as a family with the boys. Uh, I really want to do Tanzania and Kenya. Hmm. I want I want the boys to experience a safari. And they say the Kenyan safaris, unlike the South African ones, are a lot more friendlier with kids. Again, the South African ones, you got to keep everything in. <laughs> My kids will be the main ones with their feet outside of, <laughs> outside of the vans. Like, dude, you about to get us killed. Sit down. Uh, but they said the Kenyan ones are very kid uh, kid friendly. So I really hopefully Q4, we can do Kenya and Tanzania. Wow. Ooh, ooh, that's a long plane ride with a bunch of three-year-olds. Yeah, melaton, anybody? <laughs> <laughs> In all your travels, have you met anyone in your travels, locals, that you've had a personal experience with that, that you still communicate with them? Still communicate with? That's not my coworker. That Oh, that's not your coworker. Hmm. I don't think so. That's horrible. And I'm like, hmm, not locals. No, I don't think so. That's a really good question. But I don't think, I can't think of anyone that are local, like local locals, maybe like people that I met on tour or, you know, was on the bus with me that lives in a different country, but not a, a, a pure local. No. Now I have something to add on my list that I gotta, I gotta find that. You see the advantage like of that. you see the advantage of coming on Tripcast 360. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> now I gotta, I gotta find a Kenyan or a Tanzanian to. That would be super cool to like have a friendship with someone. That would be really cool. Yeah, we we we, we make you think. <gasps> I lied. No, I lied. 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 Okay. One of my good 
one of my really, really good friends um, is, so when I went to the Bahamas, ooh, 2020 last year yeah last year 2020 I went as a solo trip it was for my birthday um and I met a local Bahamian girl who's about my age and we are such good friends we went to Tulum with each other in October and I'm about to meet her in Guatemala like next month wow that's nice yeah she's a local Bahamian that that is nice and do you often and I've said this before. I don't know where I've said it, but I've said it, I believe, on this podcast. Do you often feel like you're an ambassador when you leave the country and go other places? And and the reason that I say that is I was in Fiji 2004 or something like that. And I remember I was there by myself, solo trip. And I was sitting on the beach reading all these books. And this little girl from Australia, she's about three. She kept coming over and wanting to play with me. So I stopped reading to play with her. And her mother was all worried because it was like the first time she'd seen a black person from the United States. They thought I was a professional athlete, which I'm not. Uh, And come to find out that they were actually consumed too much American media and pretty much believed every stereotype about anybody who looked like the three of us do. And by the time I got done talking to them, I found out he was a farmer in Australia. He'd been on his farm. You know, the, the little girl, I think her name was Madeline. And I wound up staying in touch with him for 10 years. Wow. I changed their entire perspective about African-Americans just from sitting there talking to them. Wow. So. I do think that you're both an ambassador as an American in general, and then also as an African-American or a black person in general. So these are the two, uh, two distinct, like they're the same, but they're way different. So you, Sometimes the conversations can get very interesting. I remember being on a trip in Brussels and it was, I go to Brussels often because PNG's European headquarters is there. So I would go to the same restaurant and bar in the hotel. And I was having a conversation with these group of girls and they were trying to convince me that I am not, what's the words that they use? That I'm not black. I've heard that. And to, to convince me that I'm not black, black, in a way that they were giving me a compliment. And I'm like, firstly, (laughs) for you to feel comfortable having this conversation with me is a whole nother level. But what does it mean for you that I'm not Black, Black, and why is that a compliment? And for me, I am proud of being Black. I am proud of who I am and my heritage. So to educate them on Black people aren't like, oh, geez, I wish I was white. (laughs) Like no one. Okay, I'm not waking up wishing I was white. Most of the people I know, all of the people that I know that have that I've had conversations with and my friends and my family, I've never had my friend say like, oh, I wish I was a white girl. Like, no, no one wish they're white. We are proud to be black. We are proud of our heritage and where we come from and the things we've overcome. So to educate them on, you are not complimenting me. That is actually very disrespectful. It's in, it's an insult. That is very disrespectful and is an insult. Like it would be me. You're, she said she was from Ireland. It would be me telling you, well, you're not Irish. Irish. That's right. Yeah. No, that that that's an insult, and and I've heard that a lot, and and, and it usually centers around my ability to speak the English language properly. Uh, it usually centers around. 
uh, the stereotypes that they believe from watching TV news and to think that we're all poor and destitute and exactly and, and we and we still walk barefoot in the fields and, and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, I mean, I, I have heard that I'm mean, now Dave and I are a lot older than you by blah, and um, <laughs> and um, it, it's something that still exists to this day. And I always thought, man, by the time, you know, 2020, 2021 rolls around, at least some of those stereotypes would at least disappear. They haven't. They have no. not. And it's and that's another reason why I want my boys to travel is so that they can show that they are way more than what America says. And this persona of what black boys look like and what they do and the experiences they've had way more than that. Well, I, I'll, I'll say this on behalf of Dave. We are so thankful to you and your husband both for exposing your kids to other cultures. It is so, so, so important. And actually, I'll, I'll take it one step further and wrap up on this. I think you're exposing them to other cultures will actually help them deal better with being American Black kids as opposed to the other way around. Because I know, like for me, being exposed to Spain as a young boy actually helped me deal with what I encountered when I moved down south. Indeed. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate those words. That is that is my hope that they sometimes we get accustomed to the American normal and it makes you think to yourself, is it me or am I being racially profiled? <laughs> but when you get other exposures, you know what is right and you know what it is for people who may not know you to still treat you properly. And that is what I want my kids to know of. This is how you should be handled no matter where you're at. That's right. right. That's that's right. All right, Dave. Give us some final words, Dave. Well, I want to tell Marquita. I looked at her. I'm on her website now, (laughs) MarquitaTravels.com. And the tagline is the traveling twin mama. I love that. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you. That's me. Yeah. And I guess uh, that's how much family means to you. So that's important as well. Hey Dave, yeah, I no got. No matter I, where I go, I'm the twin mama. Hey Dave, I got a way we can start some more trouble. What's that, Marquita? You, you gonna have any more? Oh hell no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got you speechless. <laughs> you got me speechless, man. You never, <laughs> you never, you 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 always shock me. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna end right here and. Data Marquita, thanks for being on our show. And tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and connect with you and let us know what's next for, for Marquita. Okay, so you can connect with me um, on my website, Marquita's Travels. So M-A-R-I-T as in Tom, A-S, Travels, T-R-A-V-L-S dot com. And then it's the same on Instagram, Marquita's Travels. And yeah, so next up, I think is a momication because I think all mamas need it. We deserve like six months off, but that's a whole nother topic. But I'm going hopefully to Guatemala next month for a momication. We're going to sprinkle in hopefully a little West Coast, maybe Tanzania and Kenya at the end of the year. Um, so yeah, we still have trips for 2021. I just got vaccinated yesterday, so I'm ready to hit these streets. Let's go. We got a player in the house. <laughs> yes, I'm like, and that is literally the only reason I got vaccinated is so that I could travel without fear of not being able to get back into my own country. So well, Marquita, once again, thanks for coming on our podcast and 
to read more about Marquita, like Michael said, or like Marquita said, please visit her at marquitatravels.com and be sure to visit us at Tripcast360 to join the conversation and discover more fantastic episodes. If you like our show and want to learn more, please join our mailing list. Michael, you want to take us out? I will take us out. And by the way, um, all of Marquita's contact information, her website, her Instagram uh, page, which is fantastic, by the way, will be posted in our show notes uh, for this particular episode. So uh, if you forget her website, we got you back. Um, on that note, Marquita, uh, as Dave said, thank you so much for doing this. It has been a blast. I hope sometime in the future, after all these journeys you have coming up, you will come back and uh, join us again for a little more fun. And um, on that note, on behalf of my dear friend, Dave Cumberbatch, this is Michael Gordon Bennett saying we will see you next time on another fun-filled TripCast 360 adventure. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>